0: Hello, this is Jeff Dixon. I'm the pastor of Word of Life, Miami, and I sure do want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope through this your life is encouraged, your faith is strengthened, and God is impacting your life in a great way. Enjoy. We are in a series called Unprecedented, this idea that God does new things. Turn with me, by the way, if you have your Bibles or your your e-version or your tree version, it doesn't matter which one. I heard somebody say that recently, and I liked it. Um, turn with me, if you can, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. But before we go there, if you look up on the screen as I recap this, Isaiah, Abigail, go ahead. Isaiah 43, this is our theme scripture for the year here at Word of Life, Miami. And it's this: remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old things situated here in a minute it's driving me bonkers uh remember not the former things or consider the things of this 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 idea from the the prophet isaiah here as he's instructing through the prophecy here there's this move that is coming from the presence of god this this thing that is going to be unprecedented a new wave a new thing a new idea but if we compare it to the way God has moved or rescued or transitioned the people that he calls his, the Israelites, if we compare it to the way it has been done in the past with phrases like, we've never done it that way before, then it would hinder what God wants to do. This Remember not the former things. Don't consider the things of old. Now, I know that it's okay to remember history. And not let the negative things of the past repeat themselves. So it's not a totally erase it from our minds. But remember them not in a way in which they could be influenced on how God wants to do something today. And then in verse 19 it says, Behold. I love that word, behold. This is something to grab hold of, to wrap our hands around, gaze with our eyes to be able to see clearly something that is before us, something that is about to happen or is currently taking place. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, I uh, we watched a movie Friday night, and I'm going to kind of botch the quote a little bit. We watched The Case for Christ. How many of you have seen the movie The Case for Christ? It's on Netflix now, by the way, so watch it. You must watch it. This is Lee Strobel was a journalist for the Chicago – I'm spitting everywhere. It's fantastic – the Chicago Tribune. And his wife and he were out for dinner, and their daughter chokes, and this woman out of nowhere rescues them by performing the Heimlich. She's a nurse. She says, hey – I was going to go somewhere else, but something told me I needed to eat here. Praise the Lord. And she gives Jesus credit for that. And he and his wife are uh, professing atheists. They don't believe anything. They don't believe in God. And so they're taken aback by this. Well, as a result of this, his wife begins to contemplate and think. And she actually winds up in church and receives Jesus. And Lee is beyond happy. Um, There are other words that I could use to describe that, that would probably not be something that I should say from up here. He is ticked off. But he decides that he's going to approach the matter of Jesus from a journalist's perspective and get all of the facts. (coughs) Only he has decided in his mind that he is not going to see the truth through the facts. He has perceived in his mind that he's going to do everything he can to make facts line up with what he believes versus with Versus actually having the facts line up with what the facts truly say. And one of the guys that he's meeting with makes some reference to him about you're blinded by what you want to see, but you cannot see through to the truth. And this is something that we've got to look at when we see the scripture that, behold, when God is doing something in front of us, are we truly seeing what he is doing, or are we being blinded by what we've seen in the past that we cannot behold? It? Before of us, And that is the stage that is set with this idea that God is doing a new thing, and I like that because God gave that to us, this word unprecedented, that word new thing could also be translated unprecedented, this idea that there is something absolutely unheard of, unrecognized before, something that we've never laid our eyes on before, and it is right here, and that is our word for Word of Life Miami, something brand spanking new wrong with the way it's been done before, but God has something exciting and real and relevant and amazing for us to hold on to. So, hence the start of the series, Unprecedented. We are on week number five. Can you believe already? Are we excited for multiple weeks of this unprecedented? Who knows? We may stick with it all year. I have no idea. I'm only going to be obedient to do what God says to do. And in the meantime... Here we are so week one we looked actually week two because week one we just spent some time talking about This, uh, we talked about noah We realized the unprecedented thing about noah having never seen water Never or never seen a rain never seen rain. God says build a boat a what? That's a word i've never heard before and we see saw through him and through his faith He was given a revelation. He was rescued and he received God's gift of righteousness by now. Some of you who have been here every week might be able to rehearse all of these. The next week, we looked at Joshua, and he didn't start, stop short of the miracle. He didn't stop short of the walls coming down. He had endurance, faith, and trust. Then we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abed, Abednego. That's a hard word to say. Rakshak and Benny. We looked as we stand in the fire that we must be persuaded at which we are standing for. Pressure. We must rest in God's protection. We must live in God's promise. And we must trust in the timing of God's promotion. Make this work the way I want it to. And then, as it opens in the right format so I can swipe instead of flip. We all know there needs to be no flipping in here. And then last week, we began a series within a series, because I like things different, and we began to look at Jesus. And we discovered last week that one man messed it all up. One man's transgression separated us from God. But many, many thousands of years later, praise the Lord, one man reunited us back to God. One man separated and one man Reunited. And this week, we're going to look at Jesus, part two, and we're going to subtitle this, this within a series and subtitle this title, it's fun, Voluntary and Obedient Sacrifice. This is what makes what Jesus has done the greater sacrifice, the greater sacrifice. You see, there cannot be atonement or forgiveness of sin without shed blood. Period. All of our mess-ups, our failures, those things in which we contradict God's best in our lives cannot be righted without shed blood. And I am not here talking to you today that we have to have some kind of animal sacrifice tomorrow. We're not a cult like that or a cult at all. But I'm not here to talk to you today about the need... For shed blood. Now, let me tell you another story. I, most of you, many of you know that I work with the uh, police or the sheriff's department and the police department as a chaplain. And the thing that blows my mind about law enforcement is when everybody is running away. They're running to. Did you did you notice the news footage back when the the Vegas shooting took place? And did you notice while everybody was running, who was running into the and in to, to help people, and towards gunmen, or the, try to find the gunmen, it was men and women in uniform. It amazes me. Now, one of the things that I do that's a little on the crazy side, most people think, is I chase tornadoes. It's pretty cool. It's really cool. And while people are trying to escape, I'm running towards them. So we have a picture of Jesus. And while nobody wants to die a horrid brutal death he offered himself wow he offered himself he came voluntarily or willingly and out of obedience no one jumps in front of a bus typically i say no one no sane person would jump in front of a bus intentionally of course your bibles and E-devices are still open to Hebrews chapter 10, so I went ahead and put a few scriptures on the screen. I'll get ramped up here in just a minute. Go ahead and look with me at Psalm 40, one of my favorite U2 songs. Okay, so it's actually scripture. Now, verse 6, it says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. A little bit of something right there in the middle. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So here we have a picture of Jesus looking at burnt offerings and sin offerings and the necessity of shed blood, the need for some kind of blood to be poured out, the the purpose of ritual of the sin offering and even though we're in the book of Psalms, we see this clear picture of the purpose of Jesus, as it says in verse eight, I delight to do your will. This picture of Jesus crying out in desperation in the garden of Gethsemane just hours before he would be arrested and taken to endure such a horrific time. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, your law is within my heart. And then John ten, 10 Jesus is talking, and he says a very clear picture through an analogy or a metaphorical story here. And he says, verses eleven through eighteen will still be on the screen, so you can keep your hands in Hebrews chapter ten. He says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd look at this, lays down his life. For his sheep, and he's going to go on, and I'll continue reading, and we're going to see here. Then four or five different times he lays down his life. Verse twelve: He who has a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, snatches them and scatters them. Verse thirteen: He flees because he is a hired hand and scares and cares nothing for the sheep. For I am the good shepherd. He's saying of the hired hand he runs, but I am not just a hired hand. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I'm thankful that I'm standing here before you declaring, I know my God. Hopefully I know his voice. And he considers me his. In verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I, there it is again, lay down my life. For the sheep. And he goes on, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because, again, I lay down my life that I might not take it up. No one takes it from me. Very, very instrumental word here. I lay it down. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down I have authority to take it up again this charge I've received from my father can you imagine how serious this moment must have been but yet the the disciples that he's talking to I don't think had a clue of what was before them in moment. We have Jesus presenting the plan, the gospel plan, the message of the cross, the purpose that ever that took place since God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden for eating of the tree, the moment that the man was separated from God. This is a picture through an analogy that says Jesus is going to come as the good shepherd and he is going to lay something down more important than just an object, but he is going to lay down Voluntarily, no one is going to take it. Just because man has nailed him to the cross does not mean that man took his life. He willingly there in the garden accepted Judas. He came and kissed him on the cheek. As Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the guard's ear, Jesus bent down and picked the ear up and healed the guard. Jesus knew what was going to be before him. He knew the pain and the sorrow and the consequence of what he was about to confront. But I tell you, no man forcefully took Jesus and put him upon the cross, but he gladly stretched out his arms. Greater love hath no man than he would lay down his life for a friend. Jesus. This is the one we sang about today, and we weren't just singing poems, but hopefully we were singing from the depths of our hearts in revelation of the love that he actually has for us, that he demonstrated for us, for love is an action, it is a verb. The betrayal that took place through a willing sacrifice of a king. His name is Jesus, and he laid his life down for you and for me. I can't help but be moved by such a remarkable thing that he would present himself as the final sacrifice that he would offer himself as the last sin offering that he would bear upon him the weight of our sins and our trespasses and Become the one who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God through him. I'd love to present this message lightheartedly. If you've been here the last few weeks or known me any time, you know that I'm not a very serious person. That I like to laugh and goof off. But can you imagine... This type of message opened up with a joke, some anecdote that would make us chuckle. I'm talking about the shepherd, the good shepherd, the one that laid down his life. Man, I can imagine the anticipation of God as he now knows that he's going to be reunited with his people in connection. He used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with his people. He was separated from that by a choice that he gave his people. He now has a far superior Adam, so to speak, in his name Jesus, and he's going to Fix it all. So now let's get to the primary text for today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. And I will try to read straight through it. But no guarantees. It says this. For since the law has but a shadow. of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year can escape the sins for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins consequently when christ came into the world he said sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but the body have you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure then i said behold i have come to you or come to do your will O god as it is written of me in the scroll of the book This is quoting back to Psalm 40, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. See, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Christ. Once for all and every priest stands daily at this at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered all the time, when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down. He sat down. At the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For a single offering he has perfected for all time. Those are being sacrificed or sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast with with the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Amen. Hmm. So let's look at observations about Christ's sacrifice. Observation number one, the law could never make us perfect. We saw this in verses 1 and 2. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, now I'm going to skip this little moment, it could never make perfect those who draw near. The part I skips is by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. But this is it. It can never make perfect those who draw near. The, the law is just a shadow. It could never make perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Now, this is interesting because people didn't start seeking the presence and the impact of God in their lives once Jesus was resurrected. It didn't start then. We see glimpses of it all throughout the Old Testament. Moses would go up the mountain, and he'd have incredible encounters with God. But he had to veil himself because the glory that was shining upon his face would fade. Moses would have encounters, but the encounters didn't last. And we can read all throughout the Old Testament of people pursuing God. David had a heart after God. But for some reason, the wonder that he had, that he found out in the pasture before he was ever anointed king, seemed to fade. There was this idea, there was this passion, there was this pursuit that somehow couldn't be maintained. Why? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And death is separation from God. And for some reason, there was not a perfect sacrifice that could keep us from having those sins that were in our lives from separating us from God. So, practically speaking, man had a flawed system in keeping them close to the connection with God. The law could never make us perfect. There had to be an ongoing cleansing. And and we find through reading through the Old Testament also, we'll... Um, Later on that the sacrifice happened the sin offering only happened once a year And when we came for that it was a reminder of the things that we did to mess up How would you like to be continually reminded of your mess ups of your transgressions? Hey, i've I've moved on but I keep being reminded of the things that i've done wrong That's no way to live Observation number two This is so powerful really is, is the word's in there. Jesus was not powerless in his crucifixion. Now that gets me a little excited. That needs to pull us out of this little humdrum of the seriousness of what we're talking about. Because I don't know what's going on in the other religions or other places or other things, but we serve a God that is powerful, and Jesus in that same right is super stinking powerful. Think about it. He offered himself. He wasn't forced to the ground. He was not powerless in the crucifixion. In verse 10 of Hebrews it says, And that by, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering ...of the body of Jesus once and for all. John 19.30 says... ...when Jesus had received the sour wine... ...he said, it is finished... ...and he bowed his head... ...and gave up his spirit. Now... ...when people die... ...they usually offer their last breath... ...and then everything goes. You see... ...there were some protocols... ...some things that typically happen... ...when a man was hanging on a cross... There were some things that would happen to ensure that their death was, was going to happen. To speed up the process. And you see, Jesus gave up his last, last breath before anyone else could take it. He was put on the cross by man. Life was not taken by man. Oh, it's the most powerful thing he's ever done. He was powerful in the crucifixion. He was powerful as they were flogging him and beating him with the cat of nine tails. He was victorious hanging on the cross. Observation number three. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. We don't have to be reminded on an annual basis of our transgressions. We don't have to go back like a dog to its vomit. It's very graphic. Verse 12 in Hebrews it says, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Listen to this and see this vivid picture he sat down this is a picture of finality he didn't have to go back he didn't have to repeat the process he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool At his feet. He sat. Down. This is also a picture of authority. This is a place of power. Of permanence. Of authority. Of victory. This is a picture of a king sitting on his throne. And his subjects coming to him. I gladly say I'm one of his subjects. Not that he can rule over me, but I can gladly give myself to him. He no longer took an offensive stance. He was no longer on the offense. And he wasn't retreating. He was sitting in victory. Number four, fourth observation. Our sin has no past Recollection. Verse 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. We read in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Have you ever noticed on a globe or just in general that if you go north far enough, you'll eventually go south? But if you go east far enough, you never start going west? Isn't that a great picture that when he says he throws our sins or our transgressions as far as the east is? i got to get my, get my east right. East is as far as the west. They never meet. Observation number five. This sacrifice is a point of entrance. See, when Jesus bowed his head and said it was finished and gave up, as the King James says, the ghost. Gave up his spirit. There was an earthquake. And there, the, the, the Bible says that the veil in the temple that separated man from the presence of God. The veil was rent or torn from the top to the bottom. That now man had full access Jesus, it was through Jesus that he became the entrance to the presence of God. Verse 19 in Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by what? By the blood of Jesus, not by my goodness, not by my actions, not by what I have done to deserve it, but by the goodness and the power and the authority and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I now can confidently go into the presence of God. We've got this. This great picture presented before us that in the Old Testament flawed law of the system, it was that it took a man and all of his processes once a year to make it so that for a moment I was eligible to enter into the presence of God, but only through a man. And I'm here to tell you today that by one man, his name is Jesus, I can confidently go into the presence of God, not once a year, not once a week, not once a day, but I can abide in his presence daily. I don't have to depend on him to make things right so that I can enter. And you all don't have to depend on me to make things right so that you can enter into the presence of God. We can depend on Jesus, the one who will never let us down, who has already made things right. He has made it a lasting right. And he is our access point today and forever and once and for all. That'll preach. My last point, typos and all. Got to be at least one. Because I'm just like my dad, and he will listen to this, and he'll laugh at that. And Aaron, you've known him as almost as long as I have. Typos every time, right? Point number six, observation number six. We are given a faithful promise. And since we have a this is verse 21. We are, we are Since we have a great priest, this is Jesus, over the house of God. This isn't, as you read, you can read, and I'm not going to spend time setting it up. We can read in uh, chapter 7 and 8 about the order of Melchizedek versus what Jesus is and how Melchizedek was, anyway, go and read it and, and, and look at it. But we now have a great priest over the house of God. And let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we may have an evil conscience, but now our hearts are sprinkled clean. And we may have had filthy, wretched lives and our bodies might have been horrendous, but now we are washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. There's this picture that I get in my mind of, as you can read throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, of people holding on to the horns of the altar, waiting on God to prevail and to demonstrate and to bring about that which He has promised. And right here we have the promise before us. Let us hold to the, hold fast to the confession of our hope, hope without wavering. This is a confident hope. This is something that we don't have to back away from. This is something we have assurance in of our hope without wavering for he who promised. He who offered his life willingly and obediently. You see the bulls and the goats were forced, but Jesus went willingly and obediently He is the one making the promise. He has proven through his actions that he is faithful. So let us hold fast. The confession of our hope. Without wavering. For he is. He is. He is. He is Jesus. He's the final sacrifice. He did it once and for all. And I can't help but think in this moment that we need to be reminded that through him we don't have to work it up. He made it right so that we can now access and enter into the very presence. Of God, Can we pray together? Father God, in this moment, I can't help but be moved by this picture of Jesus, the voluntary and obedient sacrifice that he gave. But I pray in this moment that we would be captivated by the splendor of his majesty. We would be in awe of the sacrifice. We would be thankful. The Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise what are we thankful for? Just through these few short minutes of what we've shared together, thankful for the lasting sacrifice, the point of entrance into your presence. Lord, I'm thankful that based on this, that we don't have to come together just on Sunday morning to have the only encounter with you. Lord, that there's a promise of encounter every time that we seek and desire your presence. Makes me go back to that song we sang, You're the One That Really Matters. You're the One That Really Matters. You're the One That Really Matters. matters. You're the one that really matters. You're the one that really matters. So Lord, we just declare that together. You're the one that really matters. You're the one. You're the one who did it. You're the one that made things possible. You're the one that really matters. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has impacted your life, would you share it with your uh, social media? Would you subscribe to this, like it, leave some feedback in the comments below? Also, would you go to our website at wlmiama.com? That's w-l-m-i-a-m-i com. Go to the Give tab and contribute to what God is doing in northeastern Oklahoma. And if you're in the area, we have services at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, and you can... Find us at 135 I Northeast, just across from the campus of NEO. We'd love to see you experience the presence of God together. God bless you. Come again tomorrow.